I'm going to start out with a little story this morning. Um, on Tuesday, I got a, I guess a text, wasn't it? From our pastor saying, so how in season and out are you? Can you preach this Sunday? And I thought to myself, I did the math, you know, okay, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, oh boy. Because uh, Marlene knows how long it takes to prepare for these things. Um, so here I am. Uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> We're going to go a little off track today. We're not sticking with the, the, uh, the sermons that we've been working with for the past couple weeks. Uh, this thing kind of started out a few weeks ago. Uh, I was going to teach a lesson on it on Wednesday night, and that was the Wednesday night that it was so hot that we went downstairs and we had, uh, we had our service with uh, Dustin and Jamie and the kids, which, by the way, I recommend for anybody that's uh, interested in something different on Wednesday night because it's kind of neat to watch them. Uh, it's it's uh, a real energetic time for the, uh, for the young people. Um, I'm not a preacher. Those of you who have been here long enough know that. Uh, I fill in when I'm asked to, uh, sometimes reluctantly, sometimes happily, uh, but I always try and fill in. I'm a pretty conservative Christian. I've been saved and Pentecostal for about 24 years, which isn't very long compared to some of you. Uh, I've only had God speak to me audibly once, and that was one word. He said, okay. Uh, and I won't go into that story again because many of you have heard it, and I always cry when I tell it, so I don't want to do that this morning. Um, I don't like to get in dreams, into dreams. I'm not a dream type of person, but I do believe the Holy Spirit can speak to us through dreams and Im imagery. I mean, after all, there's, there's references to that 87 times in the King James Bible. I was amazed when I looked that up. 87 references to dreams that God gave to his people. Um, one of the more well-known ones is Acts 2.17. I don't know if, I don't think I gave this to Brad. Uh, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. Well, guess who's an old guy now? Uh, about two weeks ago, I had a really strange dream. And I, I want to tell you about it because it kind of sets up for the rest, for the rest of the uh, teaching here. Uh, it was strange for very two reasons. The first was God spoke in it, and the second is I actually remembered it, because I don't know about you guys, but I'm one of those people that doesn't remember my dreams. You know, in, in my entire lifetime, I remember, I've remembered like six dreams. Uh, the very first one that I remember was when I was very young. We were living on the farm, and I was trapped inside a potbelly stove with a rhinoceros outside of it. Now, that's a dream, okay? <laughs> And, and that's typically the kind of dreams that I have, so that's why I don't remember them. This one was a little different. Uh, we were here, and I believe it was worship practice from the way things were set up, and Katie and Pastor and I were sitting right there on that second step. And we were talking about a necklace, uh, and there were two charms on the necklace. And the one charm said liberty, the other charm said freedom. And all of a sudden there was a voice and I don't know where it came from I assume it was God um, and the voice said speak liberty and freedom to the people 
and you know we heard it and we were discussing the difference between those two words and and somebody handed us a uh, a glass and it was shaped like a rose a red rose and the same voice said drink or pour it out for someone else so that shook me up because I you know like I say I don't remember dreams so what I did was I prayed about it a lot because I didn't know what I was supposed to do with it. Um, it seemed that we were being told to learn about liberty and freedom and to, and to talk about it, to teach about it. So I don't know about the rest of you, but when, when I'm stuck on something, I, I, I tend to do what we're told to do. I go to the Bible, I open it up, and I, and I try and look it up. Uh, I grabbed... I have one of those old uh, concordances. It's that thick. Strong's. I don't know if anybody have it. Everybody's done. Everything's done electronically now. Keith has one probably because he's ministry student. Uh, so I hauled that thing out and plunked it down on the dining room table. And I, I looked up liberty and I looked up freedom. Now we'll get into that. The first thing I want to ask is, what's your definition of liberty? Anybody? What's liberty? Well, we hear about it every other day on the news, on the radio, liberty, freedom, our rights. Well, let me tell you what Webster says. Webster says it's the quality or state of being free. Liberty is the quality or state of being free. That seems kind of obvious. Um, it's the power to do as one pleases. It's freedom from physical restraint the positive enjoyment of various social, political, or economic rights and privileges, and the power of choice. So yeah, that's interesting. That's Webster. I try and stay away from the uh, Wikipedia dictionary because I don't like it. <laughs> so I looked in my concordance and I, I looked it up and in the King James Version, there's 25 verses dealing with liberty starting in Leviticus and ending in 2 Peter. And we're not going to cover all of them, but we're going to look at some of them. In contrast, I could only find freedom mentioned twice in the King James Version. You'd almost think that it's the same thing, liberty and freedom. And if you look up the two definitions, it is almost the same thing. And the King James Version chooses liberty, if you look in other translations, like the New Living Translation, the NIV, you'll see that freedom and liberty are almost, they're, they're exchangeable. Um, Isaiah 61.1 is a very good example of this. In the King James Version, it's, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. <clears throat> you have to forgive my voice. I'm having the same problem Marlon's having this morning. It's allergies and breathing and all that. In the NIV, it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to pro proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. So, we all know this verse. 
You know, after Isaiah, like 730 some years after Isaiah, Jesus stood up in the temple and, and opened the scroll and, and read this verse. But, but who are the captives that he liberated? Everybody raise their hand. You guys, right? Me, everybody. And there's a lot of discussion today going on regarding slavery and liberty. Um, and I think it's important for us as Christians to realize what's the ultimate slavery? Sin, right? And what's the real freedom, the ultimate liberty? Jesus Christ. And that's what we have to give to the world in this mess that we're in right now. And, and believe me, it is a mess. So I'm going to kind of be jumping around between the King James and the New Living Translation this morning. And as I do, I want you to try and remember that the words liberty and freedom are kind of interchangeable in these versions. So Brad has been very patient with me and he's, he does a remarkable job when you give him all the scriptures like Saturday afternoon at two o'clock and, and tell him this is what we're gonna do this morning, the next morning. So let's go into Leviticus. Let's look at some scripture. And that's the first reference I've found. And it's a very interesting verse. It says, and you shall consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. And each of you shall return every man to his possession and every man to his family. Now, I don't know about you, but how many of you studied Leviticus? Is that like the last one on your list? You don't, you don't count, Keith. Okay. And, well, maybe it's the next to the last because there is that book called Ecclesiastes. And I don't know how, I don't know how anybody can wade through that one. That, to me, that one's depressing, but it ends, it ends well. Um, but the overall message of Le Leviticus is sanctification. Now, we, we hear a lot about that, and we all should know what sanctification is. The generic meaning, and I think this is interesting, the generic meaning of sanctification is the state of proper functioning. I never heard it put that way. We, heard, we know about sanctification in Jesus and, and uh, uh, you know, how it's a lifelong process and it ends when the last nail is driven into the co coffin and all that stuff. But to sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by its designer. That's neat. A pen is sanctified when used to write. Eyeglasses are sanctified when used to improve sight. In the theological sense, things are sanctified when they're used for the purpose God intends. A human being is sanctified, therefore, when he or she lives according to God's design or purpose. The whole book of Leviticus communicates that receiving God's forgiveness and acceptance should be followed by what? Holy living, right? Spiritual growth. So Israel had been redeemed by God and they were to be purified into a people worthy of their God. Now, whose work is sanctification? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit sanctifies. So we, we have the liberty or freedom, if you will, within Jesus to become sanctified or to be used as God intended us to be used. Every one of us. And again, it's a process and everybody's at a different spot in the process. So don't feel bad if you feel like, 
you're down here and somebody else is up here. That's not really the way God sees it. God sees us all moving along and sanctification. What, what does Paul say? Moving from glory to glory to glory. So this verse deals with the institution of the Jubilee. Now, what's significant in that is there was to be a restoration of every Israelite to all the property and all the liberty which had been alienated from them for the last 50 years. So the Jubilee occurred every 50th year. And all the slaves were to be freed as well. Now, now the, the Hebrew, the Jewish people had a thing about, you know, some of them indentured themselves to other people. Well, in that every seven years they were supposed to be free, but in that 50th year it was supposed to be freedom and restoration of everything. If you want to spend an interesting couple of days, <laughs> do some research on the Jubilee. Uh, you'll learn a lot about God's plan for redemption if you study that, because, because the whole plan for redemption is kind of in there. You'll also learn that we're kind of into the dark, in the dark as whether the Israelites ever actually achieved that. Now, there's really no reason to think they didn't celebrate it pre-exile, but after Nehemiah, there's no record of it being celebrated anymore. So the post-exile history of the, of the Israelites don't, don't have any record of that jubilee being celebrated, which is, which is kind of sad when you think of it. It's kind of like, you know, God expects us to be someplace and we're not there yet. Let's go on to look at Psalm 119, <clears throat> verse 45 says, And I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Now this is, this is David speaking. This is what he wrote about the experience of his affection for the law of God. He desires to know how to do his duty and to consult God's word accordingly. So here we are talking about liberty or freedom to learn God's laws, which is part of sanctification, right? You know, I will walk at liberty for I seek thy precepts. So David was saying that I'm looking for God. I'm looking for you. I'm looking to follow your law. I'm looking to try and become what you want me to be. Now, that's kind of something to keep in the back of our mind. Let's move ahead a little bit to Jeremiah. Jeremiah verse 34. And this is a long one, and, and Brad, I think I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation because, quite honestly, the King James is a little confusing. It says, This message came to Jeremiah from the Lord after King Zedekiah made a covenant with the people, proclaiming freedom for the slaves. He had ordered all the people to free their Hebrew slaves, both men and women. No one was to keep a fellow Judean in bondage. Now, what's that sound like? That sounds like what God said about the Jubilee, right? The officials and all the people had obeyed the king's command. Now here, here comes the kind of sad part. But later they changed their minds. They took back the men and women they had been freed, forcing them to be slaves again. So the Lord gave them this message through Jeremiah. Now this is just before the exile. You have to kind of understand this. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I made a covenant with your ancestors long ago when I rescued them from their slavery in Egypt. I told them that every Hebrew slave must be freed after serving six years, but your ancestors paid no attention to me. Recently, you repented and did what was right following my command. That was what Zedekiah did. 
You freed your slaves and made a solemn covenant with me in the temple that bears my name. What's a covenant? Pardon me? An agreement. Yeah, how is it different from a contract? It's, it's God, right? It's a covenant that God makes with his people. Does God break covenants? No. Okay, so he says, You freed your slaves and made a solemn covenant with me in the temple that bears my name. But now you have shrugged off your oath and defiled my name by taking back the men and women you had freed, forcing them to be slaves once again. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Since you have not obeyed me by setting your countrymen free, I will set you free to be destroyed by war, disease, and famine. Now the King James says, I will give you the liberty of doing all that. Uh, you will be an object of horror to all the nations of the earth. Now, to me, this is a perfect example of human nature at its worst. I mean, we, we all know that human nature can be pretty good, but, but here it is as worst, worst. The history on this thing is like when the Chaldean army was approaching Jerusalem, everybody said, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? So they made a covenant with God. They freed all their slaves and, you know, they, they did all the things that they were supposed to do. And, and what happened? Well, the, the Chaldean army backed off because the Egyptian army, who was kind of like being paid by Israel to defend them, came in and the Chaldeans retreated. So the rich people decided, well, this is good. We'll take all these servants back. So they, they brought everybody back that they had freed. Well, what happened? God gave Jeremiah the message, the rebuke, and he had him tell them that the Chaldeans would indeed return. Now, we, we all know the story of, of how that all happened, and you know, eventually they went into exile. Um, but one thing we can take from this is, is God loves liberty, right? But liber liberty can be a curse too sometimes because God doesn't like someone who breaks a covenant. Okay, now there's, there's a lot of things that we look at in the Bible that, that are covenants. You know, God's promises are basically covenants and, the, and a lot of them are, if you will do this, then I will. So there's a reciprocal thing going on there. Um, so if, if we as a people break a covenant, God isn't wrong to punish people for that. All right, let's move on to Ezekiel 46. And th this again kind of deals with the Jubilee a little bit. But if the prince gives a gift of land from his inheritance to one of his servants, and again, I'm reading from the NLT, I think, the servant may keep it only until the year of Jubilee, which comes every 50th year. At that time, the land will return to the prince. But when the prince gives gifts to his sons, those gifts will be permanent. Now, think about what that means as far as our relationship with Christ, okay? If we're given a gift by somebody, it's not necessarily a permanent thing. And, when, and with the Hebrews, with the Israelites, it was, 
if the prince gives you something at the end of seven years, like a piece of land, it goes back to the prince because that was, that was the law back then. But if the prince gives something to, something to his children, to his sons, it's permanent. What does that mean? To, what, what does that sound like to us? Yeah, what does Christ give us? Christ gives us liberty, freedom, salvation, redemption. Those are permanent gifts. We don't give them back every 50 years. We don't give them back every seven years. We don't ever have to give them back. Now, some people choose to. You know, like Pastor Jeff has often told us, you can, you can choose to walk away from your salvation. God is a gentleman. He's not going to stop you from doing that. Um, but I think you know, this is a reference to how the, how the prince is supposed to handle the year of Jubilee. But it also typifies Christ's gifts to us as being permanent because they are from the prince to the children and we are the children of God, right? So that those things can't be taken from us. Now, the next scripture that I found, and I don't think you have this one either, Brad, but that's okay because it's the same as another one. It's Luke 4.18. Luke 4.18 is exactly the same thing. It's the account of, re of Jesus reading Isaiah 61.1. And the interesting thing is, it's almost word-for-word -word translation from the Hebrew. And if we remember Pastor Keith's teaching a few Sundays ago of the words we say, and we compare that King James, we go back into li Young's literal translation, you'll find that they translate liberty as deliverance. I thought that was interesting. It's kind of neat. You know, when you, when you look at, a lot of people talk about the different translations and, well, I, I stick with the King James because that's God's Bible. Well, I don't know how you all feel about that. I'm not trying to step on anybody's toes. I, I like looking at different translations because a lot of times, some of the stuff that is really runs me around in circles in one version can be made a little bit clearer in the next version. So I bounce around a lot between New Living Translation, King James. I've used the message once or twice when I'm really stuck on something because it's kind of the way we talk today. But again, liberty can be translated or rendered as deliverance. Now... In this next passage that we're going to do, Jesus says something very special about freedom. And I think where we are today with this very politicized, politicized environment that we're in, I, th I think it's important. It's John 8, 31 to 33. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But we are descendants of Abraham, they said. We have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? Now, it kind of contrasts the political concept of freedom, which is what the Hebrews were saying back then. We're children of Abraham. So we've never been slaves, which I find kind of interesting because if you look at their history, they've been slaves to just about everybody that walked through their land, right? So what they were saying it was their concept, their political concept and their theological concept were at odds here. They were, they were free in their sight because they were children of Abraham. So Jesus made the claim that truth was to be found in his teaching 
and he assured his hearers that his truth would make them free. They didn't like that very much because they, they appealed to their kinship with Abraham and deduced that they had never been slaves. So that's probably an appeal to the sense of spiritual freedom that transcended the political, the, their current political situation because they were under the rule of who at that time? Rome, right? The Roman government. Um, so, but their notion was that their physical relationship to Abraham guaranteed their place as the people of God. And Jesus proceeded to rebuke them for it. He said in verses 34 to 36, he said, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave of sin. A slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is part of the family forever. So if the son sets you free, you are truly free, or some translations say you are free indeed. Now, that's a pretty powerful critique of somebody's belief that they are uh, a child of God by their relationship with somebody else. You know, we, we've often heard Pastor Jeff say, you know, God doesn't have any grandchildren. You're not a Christian just because your parents took you to church every week or just because your parents are Christians or because your husband is Christian or your wife is Christian. That doesn't make you a Christian. You're a Christian by the confession of your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, you know, it's when you think about our relationship with God, our relationship with God is, is based on something that's, that's pretty unbreakable. Our freedom and our liberty in Jesus because it's not by a bloodline, it's by a belief. It's by the fact that we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And his covenant with us is if you believe, then you will have eternal life and, and all these other things that, that we talk about in the Bible. So let's move on to Romans, Romans 8.21. Romans is a great book to read if you're a new Christian. Um, he says, because the creation, or, uh, because the creature, in Young's literal it says creation, itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, I love when God starts to put things together because Marlene, what, did, what were you talking about this morning? You were talking in part of, and you probably don't even remember it, in part of your lesson on Revelation, you were talking about the creation. How many of you realize that when God cursed mankind, Adam and Eve, the creation was also cursed? If you read that part of Genesis, you'll see that. So what we see here, the beauty of God's world, and it is beautiful, isn't, still isn't what he intended it to be. It's not as beautiful as when he made it. So God's creation suffered because of human sin. And the other part of this is the liberty that God gave us, that gave to Adam and Eve, caused this. Because our liberty, their liberty, allowed them to choose what they were going to do. And they made the wrong choice. So, on the day that Paul is talking about in Romans, the physical creation, which from the time of Adam has suffered because of human sin, will enter its full glory along with us. 
you know, the redeemed, human life. All effects of sin will be removed. Now, I'm, I don't know about you guys, but I'm anxious to see that. All effects of sin will be removed. The believers will be raised from the dead in imperishable spiritual bodies suited to life in the coming age. All right, let's, let's jump ahead to Corinthians. 1 Corinthians verse eight, uh, chapter 8, verse 9. But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. Now, we've studied this before. In, in this chapter and, you know, reading further ahead in that chapter, um, Paul's talking about Christians eating meat offered to idols. And it's kind of a warning that the liberty that we have in our knowledge that, well, what's an idol? An idol is a hunk of wood, right? A hunk of metal, a hunk of stone, whatever. It, it has, it, it's nothing. And, and we know that because we're, because we're Christians. And if we ate meat offered to idols, and, and back in Paul's day, the same thing, um, it, it doesn't mean anything because they don't mean anything. However, what Paul is saying is, you can confuse somebody, you can harm a new Christian, because they may not understand that. So what Paul was doing was saying, hey guys, be cautious in the exercise of your, of your liberty that Christ gives you, so that you don't harm somebody else. And I think that's an important concept because, you know, we all, we all talk often about, you know, Christian speak and Christianese and this, that, and the other thing. And people that are new Christians sometimes, I, I remember when I first got saved, it's confusing. And, it's, and it's, sometimes it's taken aback. It's kind of like when Pastor Jeff talks about when you talk about the blood, being under the blood, you think, ooh, what kind of people are these? You know? <laughs> I often joke about the fact I got saved because I went to a Pentecostal church to see what kind of trouble my wife had gotten us into because, you know, she wanted to go to a Pentecostal church. All right, here's the scripture that the sermon title was taken from. I don't know, did you put that slide up, Brad? The sermon title slide at the beginning? Okay. So here's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, and the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, liberty. And we all with unveiled face, the glory of the Lord beholding in a mirror to the same image are being transformed from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Anybody confused by that? <laughs> um, Verse 17 is easy. We all, we all know that one. And, it, and it's contained in a lot of worship songs that we sing. Um, and it's translated as freedom in the NIV. Paul's, Paul's addressing the Corinthians here, and he's talking specifically to ministers. And he's telling them that they shouldn't veil the truths of the gospel, that we can now show the meaning of all the types and the shadows that were, that were presented in the Old Testament. The, the bit about behind the veil and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but he also says what? He says that we are being transformed into the image of Christ. Okay, now, I'm sure all of you realize that's what's supposed to happen. That's what sanctification is all about, to become more and more and more like Jesus. I, I, can, I can remember when Marion and I first got into this, she, she had a lot of problems when we first got saved. 
and, and people would pray for her. And she was going through a real rough time at one time. And um, a young minister that we were working with that later married our foster daughter um, was praying over her. And she was having a problem. And he, told, he said, Mary, and he says, look at me. What do you see? And she looked at him and she said, I see Jesus. And that quick, she snapped out of what, she, what, what was going on with her. So, you know, that's what we all aspire to. People look at us and they see Jesus. The image of Jesus, the image of Christ. All right, here's the last scripture. I promise. Galatians 5, verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So, Paul's basically telling him, hey, don't take liberty with your liberty. What's that commercial? Liberty, liberty, liberty. Mark and I were talking about that last week. Limu, emu. You've all seen those. Um, so he's telling them not to take liberty with their freedom, but to use that liberty to do what? Serve one another. So what, what have we learned today as Christians? And this is what I think, okay? As Christians, we have liberty in Christ, but it's kind of a dangerous liberty, isn't it? Because God gives us, when God gives you freedom, liberty, he means it. If, if you want to make a stupid choice, God is going to let you make the stupid choice. I know, I've done it. Um, we're able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but we need to have the Holy Spirit with us or we may succumb to sin, right? F fear is a terrible thing. I, I, don't, I, I know everybody here has probably experienced it. You, when, when something like that happens, a lot of times the first reaction isn't to hit your knees in prayer. The first reaction is the adrenaline and, and what are you going to do? And, you know, that's, that's that... You know, there's that, there's that wavering time that you have, to, you have to discipline yourself to say, I'm going to pray about this. I'm not going to go ahead and do something stupid just because I'm afraid. Um, the other thing we have to do is we have to be careful that we understand God's will and that we don't become selfish or greedy about it because we're the children of God and we deserve these things. That's not the way it works. You know, I don't, I don't believe the prosperity gospel that God wants us all to be millionaires. God says it's okay to be a millionaire. It's okay to have money. It's okay to do those things. But God is after a certain thing that we can have whether we have money or not. Our liberty comes with a requirement to do what? Serve others, right? It's kind of interesting <laughs> because we're constantly told liberty and freedom and we're constantly compared to a what? A servant or a slave, right? Jesus was a servant. The servant king, he's often called. Um, the other thing, and I think this is important, our liberty that we have as Christians has nothing to do with our political status or political belief. There's people living in horrendous situations in communist countries who are Christians. We live in the greatest country on earth. We're Christians. A lot of times I think we're really spoiled by the country that we live in because we don't understand what a blessing it is. And we have the liberty to become the children of God, right? If you're saved, you're a child of God. 
And there's a whole list of things that I'm sure a lot of us could go through that as a child of God, this is what I have. Um, and we're supposed to reflect who in our liberty? Christ, right? We're to become the image of Christ to others. And that's, you know, that's pretty much what becoming a Christian or being a Christian is all about, to become like Christ. That's really what Christians mean, Christian means, right? Little, little Christ. And that's my sermon. And it's only 1130. But what we're going to do is we're going to have the worship team come back up. And we have a song that we'd like to do that Jamie was talking about before. And I'll tell you the way this happened. Uh, I, I was looking for some music to play in the pre-worship. And I texted Brad and I said, hey, can you, can you do this song? And I said, if you can find it without, because the only versions I could find on YouTube were, had the lyrics in it. And the song's called Freedom. And he said, okay, I think I, you know, I might use the Jesus culture version of it. You know, and, I, and Jamie texted me about five minutes later and she said, are you okay with the worship list? Is there anything you want to add? And I said, yeah, I'm fine with it. I might want to add something later. So you texted me right after that and said, I, she was thinking about Jesus culture, the song Freedom. And I, I said, did you talk to Brad? So we all kind of got together. We were just going to do it. And I think Brad did do it in the beginning of the pre-worship. I didn't see it. We decided to practice it and try and do it as a worship team today. So we've never played this song before. So forgive us if it sounds a little odd. Uh, I thought it sounded good in practice, but we're going to play it for you because I think it's a very uplifting song, and I think it has a lot to do with what I was talking about this morning, and I think it has a lot to do with what we as Christians need to think about. So it's all yours, Jamie. Hello. Oh, okay. This thing's being touchy sometimes. Um, it was funny because when I sent Gil the message, I was totally just joking. Hey, maybe we should do a new song. <laughs> and now we're going to do a new song. So go ahead and stand up with me, please. We have actually, we did this song at the ladies' conference. Um, Kim Walker-Smith does this song, and it is amazing. Um, so just get into it. It says, there's a part in here that says, dance like the weight has been lifted. Okay? So just, Xander says he wanted to see me dance up here like I was last night. So who knows, whatever the spirit does. <laughs> There is freedom, there is freedom. 
come back to communion, come back to the start. Run into wide open spaces, grace is waiting for you. Dance like the weight has been lifted, grace is waiting. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is freedom. Come out of the dark, just as you are, into the fullness of His love. For the Spirit is here, let there be freedom, let there be freedom. Chains will fall, prison shake at the sound of Jesus' name. Lives made whole, hearts awake at the sound of Jesus' name. Chains will fall, prison shake at the sound of Jesus' name. Life may go, hearts awake at the sound of Jesus' name. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, there is freedom.
Spirit. We thank you for your Spirit that gives us strength, Lord, that allows us to uh, go on when we don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. And Lord, we thank you for your Word today. We pray that we will use it this week. We pray that we will use it to become better Christians. And we thank you for just giving us this, Lord, for your Word is it's just awesome, Father. We pray for all the people that can't be here today. We pray for those sick. We pray for the rest of the week, Lord. For those of us that have to go to work, we pray that uh, we can be the little Christians that you are, uh, the little Christs that you want us to be this week. Bless each and every person. Bless each and every soul that leaves here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.